Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. been a while since we've done this. I'd like for all the men of the church to join me here at the altar as we bow down before the Lord and ask God's blessings upon the service today. Please don't feel obligated, but you're going to be joining a host of men who counted an honor to bow down before the Lord. We're going to bow in his presence. I say this all the time. Thank God for uh, godly women who through the ages have stayed the course and who have been faithful, and sometimes churches have been kept open and kept alive because of the godly women. But there is something special about men that are willing to bow down before God. And so, uh, guys, just get as close as you can. If you can't get all the way, just wherever you are, just kneel, and we're going to pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow before you right now. You are the Lord God of all flesh. There's nothing too hard for you. And Lord, we humble ourselves down before you and we understand that a man is never stronger than he is at that moment when he's on his knees before a holy God in submission to you. And Father, we're asking right now that you would bless this house. We ask for every Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church in America and in the world to have the blessings of God upon it. But Father, we cry out to you right now that eyes will be open today, that hearts will be tender, that we'll be receptive to the word of God that you'll be able to speak and to move and to woo and to draw and to convict and do what only you can do. Lord, we've seen the best that man can do, and it's never enough. We stand in need of a blessing from heaven. Open the windows of heaven above us this day. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your glory. Move in this house. Do something so awesome and so wonderful that we would all have to say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. We love you, blessed Savior, and we pray, Lord, that you'll be high and lifted up and exalted in this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. If you'll take your Bibles and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, we'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 4, 1 John 3, and we'll read 4 through 9 as we continue our series uh, in uh, the book of 1 John. We're just going through verse by verse. We're, we're uh, setting the whole book under the title of the last apostle. John was the last apostle. He was the last man writing. He penned the last words of Scripture. And today, as we look at his words, uh, we will find some amazing uh, and maybe some startling truths. I want to begin by asking you this question. If your doctor were to call you and say, I need you to come into my office, 
I need to talk with you personally. Uh, first of all, that would probably make you a little bit nervous. At least uh, that's the way I felt when it happened to me. But let's just suppose that your doctor calls you in. You go sit down in his office and your doctor says something like this to you. I have something very, very, very important to share with you. And as far as medical science is concerned, uh, this is uh, very complicated. So I need you to listen to me carefully because what I'm about to share with you just might save your life. Now, more than likely, you would not be reading a magazine while your doctor was talking to you. You probably would not be texting someone or reading your email or looking up something on the Internet. In fact, I doubt you'd even be reading your Bible at that time. The only thing you might be doing other than listening is praying. You might be praying and listening at the same time, but I'm pretty sure that your doctor would have your undivided attention. Well, this morning, I have something very important to share with you. Something, theologically speaking, is very complicated and very deep. But at the same time, it is something that just might save your life. It might save your eternal life. So today... I would like for you to give me your undivided attention as we think on the subject of who is really a child of God. Who is really a child of God? And I want to give you a warning before I read the text. What I'm about to share with you just might cause you to doubt your salvation. And contrary to what you may have heard in the past, doubting your salvation is not necessarily a bad thing. You see, sometimes doubting your salvation can be absolutely wonderful. Let me, let me explain how this works. Now, you wouldn't want to doubt your salvation for the rest of your life. That would not be a good thing. But it can be a very good exercise that leads you to a very wonderful place. For instance, if you are indeed a child of God, you've had a genuine born-again experience, and you have doubts in your life about your salvation, then dealing with those doubts, paying attention to them, taking them seriously, and working through those doubts with the help of the Holy Spirit and the written Word of God and some spiritual counselors around you, if you will deal with those doubts, you can come to a place where you will never ever again doubt your salvation. If you will deal with your doubts, you can come to a place where you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. But on the other hand, if you have never had a real, genuine salvation experience, maybe you joined the church, maybe you got baptized, maybe you're actively involved in many of the activities in the church, but if you have never had a genuine salvation experience, and yet you feel like something is wrong, you have these doubts that just keep coming back over and over again, then I suggest to you that those doubts are not bad. Those doubts are absolutely wonderful. In fact, those doubts probably come from the Holy Spirit who's dealing with your heart. 
And if you will give those doubts your full and undivided attention, those doubts may lead you all the way to a genuine salvation experience. So I'm just saying that if the message I preach today causes you to doubt your salvation, don't reject that. Go with it. If you're a child of God, you'll end up praising and shouting the Lord because you know you're saved. If you're not a child of God, it may lead you all the way to salvation. And the text I'm about to read will help us identify who is and who is not a true child of God. I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 John 3, beginning in verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now I want us to just begin with the first verse there, and believe it or not, as as complicated as this sounds and seems at face value, uh, there's some very simple logic being used here. Beginning in verse 4, he says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You see, John wanted them to understand, and obviously it's been recorded in the Word of God so that you and I would understand that sin in a Christian's life is the equivalent of lawlessness. To be an outlaw. To break the law. And John wanted them to understand, and you and I need to understand, that sin in a Christian's life is inconsistent with that Christian life. It's like being an outlaw. It's like being a lawless person. Let me give you an illustration. What if today some man were to walk into this service for the very first time, He sits all the way through the worship service. He sits all the way through the preaching. And when the invitation is given, he gets up and he walks down the aisle and he says to me, Pastor Jones, I would like to join this church. I love the worship. I loved your preaching. I love the atmosphere. I love this whole church. I want to join the church. And what if I were to say to him, that is wonderful. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And I put the microphone in front of him and he says something like this. First of all, I'm glad you gave me the opportunity because I want to tell the church something about me and what I do. You see, I'm a robber. I'm a thief. I steal. My specialty is identity theft. I steal people's hard-earned money. Every now and then, I commit murder, sometimes rape, 
and a few more illegal things, but those are the main ones. And I just wanted to let the whole church know what I do for a living, but I don't want you to be worrying about that because I know I'm a child of God and I know all of those sins are covered by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would be outraged, wouldn't we? I can't help but believe knowing you like I know that you'd be on your feet shouting. No, no, impossible. That cannot be the case. Your very behavior, your very lifestyle reveals that you've never even met our precious Savior. You are not a child of God. Wouldn't we say that? Is there one person in the house that would disagree with that? You see, John says lawlessness is sin, and sin is lawlessness. And that's very obvious to us, but friends, there are churches all over America where people are comfortably living in sin. Maybe not as bad as what I just described, but nonetheless doing things that the Word of God says you can't do and that are inconsistent with the Christian life. Some of it may be secret sin. Some of it may be sins that are no longer a taboo in our society and they're just being lived outwardly and publicly. But people in churches all over America are living very comfortably with sin and many of them have convinced themselves that the grace of God is covering their continual practice of sin. And what John says is this. John says there is no difference between sin and lawlessness. Either one makes you an outlaw and identifies who you really are. Wow. Friends, if there's ever been a day and a time when we need a biblical clarification of what grace is all about, it's now. And I hope you'll listen to me. But friends, we've perverted and distorted grace until people can live any way they want to live and think it's okay. Listen carefully what I'm about to share with you, friends. Grace is God loving you so much that He sent a Savior to die on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be washed, so that you could be cleansed, so that He could lead you out of a lifestyle of lawlessness and lead you into a lifestyle of righteousness, so that you could leave the way you used to live and now live a life that brings glory to God. Anybody who tries to convince you that grace is God's permission for us to continually practice sin in our lives, they don't know what grace is all about. And that's perverted grace. And that's wrong. In this passage of scriptures, in verse 9, he says this, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. Now, friends, that's about as simple as it gets. That is, that's clear. That's crystal clear. <laughs> you, you see, friends, the seed of an apple 
will produce an apple tree that produces what? Apples. The seed of an apple will produce an apple tree that produces apples. And therefore, the seed of an apple ultimately produces apples. That's what he does. You, you, you see, when you have a seed, that seed will always produce what it comes from. Right? And if you plant a seed, that seed will produce whatever that seed came from. Notice our verse again. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his... Do you see the capital H? This is talking about God. For his seed remains in him. See the lowercase h? That's God's seed remaining in man who has been genuinely redeemed and genuinely saved. Whoever's been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. You you see, friends, when you and I get born again, we are born a spiritual birth, and we receive the seed of God, the seed of salvation, the presence of the Holy One. He comes inside of us, And I want you to know that the seed of God produces within us godliness. Or maybe we should say it this way. The seed of God in us produces God-likeness. That's what happens when the seed of God is in you. And so that's what he's saying here. He's making it very clear that the seed of God in us does not produce a sinful life. It does not. Perhaps you saw this on um, the news recently. A Polish priest, this was just this week, a Polish priest serving at the Vatican, Monsignor Christoph Olaf uh, Karamza, just announced that he is gay. He held a press conference Saturday in Rome calling on Pope Francis to revise Catholic doctrine on homosexuality which considers same-sex relationships sinful. Now, first of all, let's just back up in time. What do you think the last man standing, the Apostle John, would say about this? (laughs) Impossible! Impossible! His seed cannot produce That kind of lifestyle. That's what he would say. His seed will not produce that kind of lifestyle. Now friends, be very, very careful right at this point. Because when we hear stuff like this, it's extremely easy for us to point our fingers toward Rome, point our fingers toward the Vatican, point our fingers toward that priest, and say, that's wrong, that's sin. But I want to tell you, friends, If you and I have sin in our lives that we are not dealing with or sin in our lives that we're making excuses for or we have sin in our lives and we're saying, oh, the grace of God covers that. By the way, friends, that's the same thing the priest is saying. If we're saying, I've got sin, but I'm going to ignore it. I'm just going to live with it. I've got sin in my life, but the grace of God covers that sin. There is absolutely no difference between what you and I are doing and what that priest is doing. None whatsoever. Do I need to remind you again today that sin is sin? And there's no difference between sin 
Sin is an act of rebellion against God. The seed of God, the seed of salvation, does not produce a lifestyle of sin. And that's the reason John says don't be deceived. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. By the way, just as he is righteous, you see his righteous seed is in us. So that's what it begins to produce. We don't even like to use the word righteous anymore because it's so inconsistent with the way we've practiced our lives. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. John says five times, five different ways that we as Christians cannot have sin in our lives. Here they are, rapid fire. In him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, friends, is this just unnecessary biblical redundancy or what we would call overkill? Or is this the Holy Spirit-inspired writings of a man who was making it crystal clear that sin in the Christian life is wrong? Something's wrong. It doesn't match up. It doesn't fit together. Oh, friends. My goodness. That's as clear as it gets, isn't it? Five times in those verses, he makes those statements. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this. And the reason I told you, I want you to listen very carefully. This does not mean that you and I are sinless. This does not mean that a Christian never commits a sin. This doesn't mean that we get saved and we never commit a sin after salvation. In fact, in this very book we're reading, John says, These things have I written unto you, little children, that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John is saying sin is incompatible with the Christian life. And, and on those occasions when you do sin, we have a procedure. We repent of those sins. We have an advocate with the Father through His blood. We can be forgiven of those sins and we can be set free. A genuine child of God will make mistakes. A genuine child of God will sin from time to time. A genuine child of God may even fall into sin at times. But a genuine child of God will not fall into sin, embrace that sin, incorporate it into their lifestyle, and live there for the rest of their life. They will not do it. They cannot do it. It is impossible for a genuine child of God to do that. Why? Because His seed is in them. Because God won't allow it. Because the Holy Spirit won't allow it. In the Old Testament, the Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens, even as a father the son in whom He delights. In the New Testament, the Bible says, if you are without chastisement, you are an illegitimate child. You've never been born into the kingdom. I'm telling you that if you and I can fall into sin and embrace that sin, 
and make it a part of our lives and start excusing it and start living there, that is an indication that one of two things is going on in your life. One is you are lost and you've never been saved. And the second one is that God's heavy, aggressive, disciplinary hand is on your life. I want you to hear me make no mistake about it. I told you this was going to be a serious message before I began. If you have fallen into some sin and you've embraced that sin and it has become a part of your lifestyle, either you are not a child of God or either the heavy disciplinary hand of God is all over you right now. And you're being checked in every direction. Oh, friends, friends, twice in this passage of Scripture, John tells us why Jesus came. You want to know why Jesus came to this earth? He tells us twice in our text. This is why He came. He came to destroy sin. He came to take away our sin. That's what He says in this passage of Scripture. And with the simplest logic you'll ever find in God's Word, John is saying, you and I cannot continue to live in and to practice that which our Savior came to destroy and deliver us from. We just can't do it, according to John. Now, some of the greatest theologians and preachers of the last hundred years believe that deception was rampant in the church. Dr. W.A. Criswell, the lifelong pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. I drove to Dallas one time to hear him preach. What a great man of God. Dr. W.A. Criswell said that he would be surprised to see 25% of his 10,000 member church in heaven. Dr. Billy Graham years ago estimated the percentage of lost people in evangelical churches at 85%. And Dr. A.W. Tozer, one of the great preacher theologians of the last century, put it this way, 90%. Now these are mere men. They don't know the hearts of other people, but these great men of God suspected that something was wrong Uh, In the church, I I want you to listen to one of the quotes of A.W. Tozer. He said, I feel we have become too apologetic in our apologetics and trying to please everyone, we end up destroying the truth. By the way, A.W. Tozer died in 1963. Can you imagine what he'd be saying today? Friends, I tell you today, salvation is real. And real salvation changes us. It delivers us. It breaks the power of sin. It makes new creatures out of us. With the ability to live new lives. The seed of God uh, inhabits us. And that seed begins to produce a God-likeness. Again... Not that we never fail or make a mistake, but a true child of God will not continue to live in sin. The truth, the seed of God which is in them will rise up against that sin. 
and they'll have to repent of it. And I want you to know, friends, that true salvation, genuine salvation changes us. It changes us. By the way, I want you to answer a question for me. Who would even want a salvation that doesn't change us? Why would we want a salvation that doesn't change our lives? The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Real salvation changes people. Brother, come join me up here. What do we do with our mic? Here it is right here. I've got to push it up. Henry asked me what I shared this morning. I just want to ask each and every one of y'all to pray real quick. There's something really powerful with me. I get a disconnect between this and this. Something happens, so I just want to pray. Lord, I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you for what you've done in my life, and I just pray that, that you will be with me, that I could glorify you in this testimony in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to share real quick about the night the, that I met the power of the gospel. And to do that, I need to start at the beginning. I was actually conceived even before I was born and conceived in a life of sin, alcohol, and drug abuse. Uh, my parents had gotten divorced before I was born. I had an older brother that was 18 months older than me. My grandparents had already stepped in and intervened and actually got him out of that environment. <laughs> and, and thankfully, they did. And I wound up... They weren't really sure, and me and Cynthia went through some of this through the years, weren't really sure if I was actually their biological grandson or not. But they were thankfully uh, smart enough to keep involved in uh, my mother's life because I was my brother's brother. So they came to the hospital when I was born, and they came and visited quite a bit. So anyhow, long story short, my mother was going through all kinds of drug addictions and alcohol. And at six months old, they said that she brought me to my grandparents' house and dropped me off to go on to a job interview and never did come back and that was I think I was six months old but I look back now 30 I met her when I was 36 years old and I'm so thankful that she did decide to do that because the life that I would have went through there would have been horrible but anyhow growing up with my grandparents it was a, a, a one of the biggest blessings in the world but I have got to confess that my grandfather struggled with alcoholism which in fact wound up producing four of his kids that were alcoholics and we grew up in a pretty dysfunctional house. And my grandmother was my saving grace. She was the, my shelter. That's where I always ran to. There's not many grandmothers nowadays that you see with the long dresses and aprons, but that was, I could run to there and kind of wind up in her dress and get behind that apron, and I was safe and secure from everywhere. And those of you that ever grew up in a, uh, the dysfunction of alcoholic home, you know sometimes you need that shelter and that peace. But one night, I was 10 years old. We were eating supper at the dinner table, me and my brother and my grandfather. My grandmother stood up, grabbed her neck, and fell on the floor. She had a massive stroke. My brother and them got her up, got her into the bed. I was freaking out, panicking, didn't know what to do. And anyhow, as awesome as she was, even at that point, she drug me and my brother up in the bed, talked with us, told us to take care of our grandfather. Things were going to be fine. Ambulance finally showed up, it seemed like, hours later took her to the hospital and I remember that night at 10 years old laying in that bed hearing when my grandfather came back in the house and he was explaining to the people that were in the room not knowing that we were awake that she did not make it that she had died immediately when she got into the ambulance and I was devastated 
the only peace that I ever knew was gone. The whole rock to our family and the salvation that was there, that was our peace, was gone. And things really began to shatter and crumble at the age of 10. Grandpa, he tried as hard as he could with me and the boy, me and my brother. We were young. He was old, then raised six kids and, and, and was dealing with us and tried, bless his heart, as good as he could for about a year or so. But about 11 years old, they decided it was best for me and my brother to move in with my aunt and uncle, which was another awesome blessing. But this entire time, my life has been surrounded around drugs and alcohol and the dysfunction that goes along with that. So by about 13, I began to dabble and do things I shouldn't have done. I look back now and say some of that was due to self-medication or whatever it might have been. But anyhow, very much involved in stuff I shouldn't have been. By the age of 15, my aunt and uncle got a divorce. He wound up moving to St. George Island. She was winding up going to Tampa. I said, well, I'm a grown man now at 15. I'll stay here at St. Mark's. I always grew up around older people, and I uh, worked for some guys after school. And anyhow, I decided to stay right there in the fish house at 15 years old. It didn't take me. I think that was in October. By December, I turned 16, immediately quit school because it was really cutting into my financial being. <laughs> I, I figured it was a lot better to work than go to school, which I learned later was not. But anyhow began to get deeply involved in things I shouldn't have. So by the age of 15, I was running with people that were in their 20s and 30s, deeply rooted in sin, alcohol, drug abuse, and the very things that I would think would bring me comfort and peace began to bring me a lot of bondage and chains. And those of you that dealt with that, you'll know what I'm talking about. So for 15 years, I lived that kind of dysfunctional life. And then one night, drinking out in the woods, I'll give you the whole testimony one day if you want to come see me. We were at a friend's house on the cabin on the St. Mark's River, or the Sopchoppy River. And we were going to plan this intervention with our friend. <clears throat> and, of course, we were drinking and carrying on and how we were going to straighten him out. Long story short, his wife finally spoke up. She had gotten saved a few years back and said, how in the world are y'all going to straighten him out when look at yourself? You can't even take care of yourselves. And for the first time, I began to really evaluate. I, I desired to quit drinking. I desired. I had a six-year-old son to be a better father. Everything I swore as a child that I would not be, I had become, and I hated it. And I was in deep, deep bondage. And I said, I would love to quit. And she began to talk to me about Jesus Christ. And for some reason, I know now the Holy Spirit began to open my eyes and my ears, and I began to listen. Still hanging on to the plan of our intervention, I think I was going to spend the night with them in Sop Choppy. We were driving to their house probably 2 o'clock in the morning, and winds up, I think she figured out that she needed a professional and pulls into the parking lot or driveway of a preacher's house, which is Henry Jones. <laughs> <clears throat> Here we are, 2.30 in the morning in the Henry's driveway. I remember her calling saying, Henry, I've got Scooter Perez, and I knew Henry. We worked together on some projects before. I got him in the car, and he wants to hear more about Jesus. Henry's response was, that's great. Tell him to come to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> she said, no, you do not understand. We're in your driveway. <laughs> and thankfully, Henry got up, and he opened the door. He invited us in, and I think he immediately made some coffee. <clears throat> But he sat me down at a little table in his kitchen. And he began to share some hope with me that changed my life forever. And I want you to listen very carefully what he told me. He said in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
He says, Scooter, we've all missed the mark. No matter how hard and how hard you try, we have all fallen short. And in Romans 6, 23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, that is it. And he said in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrated his own love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, that Christ Jesus died for us. In my eyes, and I've got to tell you, I remember, and I'm sure he remembers, I began to weep, and I don't think I had cried since I was 10 years old the night my grandmother died. And he began to share that with me, and he said in John 6, Jesus himself says that no one could come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And I'm telling you, he looked to me and he said, Scooter, do you believe that the Lord is drawing you? And I looked at the circumstances and the events of my life that led me to his table that night, and there was absolutely no denying that he was drawing me. And he said, listen very closely. John 6, 37, it says, All that the Father gives me, this is Jesus speaking, will come to me, and those who come to me I will in no wise cast out. That means if he's drawing you and he's wooing you and he's bringing you to him, no matter what you've done, he will not cast you away. And I'm telling you, I had never heard more truer words in my life. And I look back 15 years later, and I know that the Lord was drawing me at that point and was wooing me, and I was feasting on what Henry was saying. And I look back now, and, I, and there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that says, The God of this world has blinded the eyes and the minds of the unbelievers from the gospel that is the glorious light of Jesus Christ. So I know what was happening at that time. The Lord was drawing me and wooing me, but he was also removing that veil. He calls it the veil. And I was seeing the Lord for who he was for the very first time. Jesus says he likens the kingdom of heaven as a merchant looking for great pearls. When he goes out and finds one of great value, he goes and sells everything that he has because he wants to buy that one. That means he has nothing of his own that is worth anything. It pales in comparison to what he was seeing. So as Henry was sharing those words with me, I believe with all my heart that God was unveiling the glory of his son and I was seeing it for the first time. <clears throat> and then he told me, Scooter, salvation is near you. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith which I am proclaiming to you. That if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Because with the heart one believes and is justified under righteousness. But with the mouth confession is made and proclamation of your faith is made and you are saved. For anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. There's no ethnicity. There's no race. There's no difference between any color, race, or creed. For the same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call upon his name. And he looked me dead in the eyes. <laughs> and he says, Jesus Christ said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he hit me with this last one, and I have never forgotten this. Jesus stands at the door and knocks in Revelations. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who will open that door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. And I'm telling you, I was experiencing some stuff that I can't explain. It's supernatural. I don't understand any of it. But the Lord was cutting through the haze of the drug and the cloud of alcohol and everything else, and I was seeing crystal clear that I needed to repent of my sins. I needed to ask Jesus to come into my heart and change my life. 
Henry did say one more scripture, and it was Acts 3.19. It says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He says, Scooter, do you want your sins, this load of sins, to be lifted off of you? Absolutely. He said, Do you want to experience some times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord? I've never experienced that, but absolutely, you've got to remember the veil was being removed. I was seeing Jesus for who he was for the first time. And he said, the very simple definition of repentance is turn from one thing and turn to another. If you're going this direction, you need to turn to that direction. So as simple as I am, he was telling me that I need to turn from this life of death, destruction, and bondage and turn to this great pearl of great prize. It didn't take a whole lot of weighing the options for me, y'all. He asked me, was I willing to bow my head and say a simple prayer? That could change my life for all of eternity. And I did. And he led me in that prayer. And I'm here today to tell you that that prayer saved me and changed my life for all of eternity. I am not the same person anymore. I'm finally starting to realize the scripture, as it says in Romans, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who are being saved. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that saved me that night over 15 years ago at his kitchen table. And I'm telling you, if you want to see some signs and wonders, you're looking at one. I was dead in my sins and transgressions. He has snatched me out of the kingdom of light, of darkness, and placed me into the kingdom of light. I fail. I have made mistakes, but he is always there, and he lifts me up, and he pushes me in the right direction. He has given me a heart peace that never experienced peace before. He's given me a new wife, a wonderful new life. The drugs and the alcohol from that night was gone, completely gone. And that, yeah, praise the Lord. But I got to just say that those were symptoms to a deeper rooted thing that was going on. He reached deep down in my heart and not only changed me, he snatched out a heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. I'm telling you, if you want to see somebody raised from the dead, I was dead in my sins and transgressions. He has risen me to walk in newness of life. And I just want to glorify him today. And I want to thank him for that night at Henry Jones's house. Go ahead, brother. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.